Take your Bible, please, this morning. I want to, we'll be in Matthew this morning, but I want to ask you to uh, turn first to Luke chapter 6. So we'll look quickly in Luke chapter 6, and then we'll be in Matthew uh, chapter 5. So we continue this morning to make our way through uh, the gospel uh, of Matthew. And we saw last week, you recall, the uh, really Christ inaugurating uh, his public ministry. I understand chronologically, he probably already uh, had performed the miracle at Cana, and that was Mike part of his public ministry. Uh, but we saw him, of course, preaching, preaching repentance, and then calling uh, four uh, of his disciples who would become apostles, uh, and then healing, performing healing miracles, uh, proving who he is. Gary, aren't you glad this morning that the Lord is still performing heal healing miracles uh, in our life today? Uh, I praise God for that. I want to uh, have you look this morning in Luke chapter 6. Luke kind of fills in some of the chronology here. Um, it's always good when a car horn goes off. Praise God. <laughs> I don't know whose car that is. Hopefully it's not mine. <laughs> I don't have my keys. I can't check and see if it's mine. Okay, somebody got it. Praise God. Pastor, you should have just kept going. <laughs> Luke, um, Luke fills in some of the chronology here and, and sets the, uh, the scene here for the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll begin taking a look at this morning. So uh, here in Luke chapter 6, uh, look here in verse 12, please. This just kind of chronologically picks up the account uh, and helps set the scene for the, for the Lord to come and, and begin preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Luke 6 says this, it came to pass in those days that he went, he went out into a mountain uh, to do what? To pray. He's getting ready to preach the Sermon on the Mount, one of the great discourses uh, of his ministry, and so there's prayer. He went into a mountain to pray and continued all night uh, in prayer to God. Uh, Christ directed his prayer to God the Father, of course we do too, in his name. Verse 13 says, When it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose 12, whom also uh, he named apostles. So he called various um, men uh, to serve as his disciples, and he's called now 12 of them to serve as his apostles. Skip down to verse 17. The Bible says here, He came down uh, with them and stood in the plain uh, and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Uh, they, they had heard, they had seen, they desired to be healed themselves. Verse 18, they that were vexed with unclean spirits, they were healed, uh, and the whole multitude sought to uh, touch him. Mike, they wanted to be healed as well, and uh, praise God for those that, that sought out the Lord, uh, beginning to understand who he was and uh, beginning to understand they, they could benefit um, from his ministry. If, if only at this stage they understood there might be some physical benefit, eventually they'll understand uh, the spiritual benefit of Christ and his uh, ministry also. Now, with that stage being set, turn uh, back to Matthew, uh, now Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, uh, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 uh, this is the famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's, it's one of uh, five or so great discourses, longer uh, sermons that, that Christ preached. And I want to stop here this morning before we read uh, the beginning part uh, of, of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll look at the first 12 verses or so today, the so-called uh, Beatitudes. Gary, I think it's important this morning that we understand uh, who Christ was preaching to uh, and what Christ was preaching about. Uh, Dr. Sorensen, who was here uh, in, in recent past, uh, he wrote this. He wrote, the Sermon on the Mount uh, has, by, has been called by some the constitution of the kingdom. Well, what kingdom? The, the coming uh, millennial kingdom of Christ. He writes, it gives insight into the spiritual and moral conditions 
that will exist when Christ our King finally is seated upon his throne in Jerusalem. Do you look forward to that day? Uh, well, after the rapture, after the tribulation, after the second coming, when we come with him and he puts down the enemies of, of God and enemies of Israel at Armageddon and, and ushers in his kingdom, Christ will reign uh, as King of kings and Lord of lords and we with him. Uh, Mike, I'll say again this morning, we have much to look forward to. Uh, we have much to look forward to. Now, Matthew, you understand Matthew's gospel is directed uh, first. Uh, his audience is, is, is very Jewish. Uh, his gospel is Jewish. He's, uh, this, is, this is really the gospel, as we've said before, that, that seems to be directed first uh, to the, the Jewish people of Christ's ministry of his day. Uh, yes, to Jews today, but also to Gentiles. I understand that. As much as we need to understand, Brother Ray Metchik, we need to understand that the Sermon on the Mount is preached to Jews regarding the blessings that they will know, the, the principles that they will practice and the blessings that they will know in the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, we understand that there's great application today, Brother Mike, for the rest of us. Gentiles living in the church age today, we can take this uh, sermon that Christ preached regarding the millennium and, and principles and practices and blessings of the millennium and apply those things in our lives today. So we're not going to read this and say, oh, this is only for Jews living in the millennium. No, I don't it, it, is, it is literally that, but certainly uh, we understand that this is, um, this is a great sermon of Christ that we can distill out principles and doctrine that we can rightly apply in our lives today. And so we will do just that. Uh, we'll look at the principles here and, and work to uh, understand them and to apply them practically uh, in our lives today. We'll see this first section of the great Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and I mentioned already, it's called what? The Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. Uh, blessed is the man that does this, there'll be this blessing. Uh, you understand the word Beatitudes does not appear uh, in Scripture, but it's, it's come to be uh, used as the word to describe the, this uh, series of blessings that are promised to those who practice uh, certain principles uh, that Christ preached. So we'll see, the Lord will say, blessed is the man or the person, the believer who does this. What does that word blessed mean? Do you remember what that means? What does it mean literally? Uh, what does it mean? Happy. It literally means happy. There is a blessing of happiness and joy uh, for people who take up these principles uh, that Christ will preach and apply them in our lives. Again, we're, we're, we're not going to lose sight of the fact that these are literally uh, uh, for the, the millennium, but they are, they are definitely principles that we can apply in our lives today. And I would dare say this morning that uh, we can reasonably expect the Lord's blessing in our lives today uh, if we will practice these principles this side of the millennium. I want to read, let's stand together if we can, please, if you're able to. I want to read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I will pray, and then we'll, we'll make some observations here. Does that sound good, church? Marilyn, we're good? All right, good to see Marilyn and Arthur today. Uh, praise God that you're able to be here. Chapter 5, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, uh, he, he is Christ, of course, went up into a mountain, uh, probably the one that we just saw in Luke, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. He opened his mouth and taught them. He taught them, saying, and here's the, here's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He, it says in verse 3, uh, the first beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? It's the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 4, he continues, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be what, church? Comforted. Praise God. Blessed are the meek, verse 5, so they sh for they shall inherit the earth. We'll talk about that phrase. Verse 6, the Lord continues, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8 continues, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see who? Praise God. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9, for they shall be called the children of God. 
Verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, verse 11, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's Jesus saying that. Blessed, blessed are those who will be reviled for his sake. Verse 12, here's a command. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Don't just be glad. Be exceeding glad. For great is your what? What is this? Your reward Where? In heaven, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which went before you. The Beatitudes this morning. Let's stop and pray. Father, thank you, Lord, so much this morning uh, for uh, the privilege to study through this, this great sermon, this great discourse uh, of, of our Savior. Lord, we understand that uh, it's, it's literally um, the first part of uh, the constitution of the kingdom, the, that, the millennial kingdom that we, we so greatly look forward to. But Lord, again, as I've, as I've explained this morning, I understand, Father, that uh, we can take these principles and uh, with your help, Lord, apply these things in our lives today, uh, begin practicing these things in our lives today. Lord, with your help, uh, for your honor and for your glory, and Father, I thank you this morning that we can uh, anticipate blessings uh, for sure in the, in the millennial kingdom of our Savior to follow, uh, but perhaps today as well. Lord, I understand this morning that you're in the business of blessing your people for their obedience to you. Father, I understand this morning that you've laid out what is obedience and what is disobedience. And Lord, I understand this morning, thank you, Father, that you've made a way. You've, you've given us your spirit to strengthen us to obey you. Lord, I pray this morning that we would humble our hearts before you, that we would yield ourselves to the spirit this morning. Lord, receive these words and understand how we might begin to apply these things practically in our lives today for your glory. Father, help me now. I need that, Lord, and I thank you for it. Lord, I, I pray now that you'll work here in this service Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Are you glad this morning that uh, we can open a Bible and, and read what it is that God intends to bless? Mike, I'm glad for that. The Lord hasn't left us guessing about what obedience is and, uh, and what he intends to bless. And he's not left us guessing about how it is that we can obey. Of course, we don't obey for salvation, but as saved people who have the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we have uh, the power of God. We have, we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit indwelling us and enabling us, and uh, I praise God for that. Uh, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Let's look here, number one this morning. Jesus proclaimed a blessing for the poor in spirit. He proclaimed a blessing uh, for the poor in spirit. See verse 3 again. He says, blessed, happy. Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is uh, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Psalm 34 and verse 18, you don't have to turn back there, but just listen. The Bible says, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, uh, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Just listen to this verse as well. In Isaiah 66 and verse 2, Rich, the Lord is speaking here. He says, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth uh, at my words. Now, I understand this morning that this verse, this uh, first of the Beatitudes, it's been understood, Brother Art, different ways uh, by different people. Some will look at this and say, well, God is, God is promising a blessing here to those who are uh, poor in material things. I don't think that's exactly what the Lord intends here. But I do understand this morning that sometimes God allows his people to retain, remain relatively poor in material things. Is that true? Is, is, that is true, right? It's not the case that every believer has a big fat bank account and, and, and just all kinds of wealth, right? We understand that that's true, right? Uh, I, you know that. I, I know that. Uh, it's, it's not the case that, that God... Uh, blesses all people with great material wealth. Sometimes he does bless believers with that, uh, and that's a blessing for sure, especially if it's used 
uh, for godly purposes. I understand this morning that some have looked at this verse and said, well, I think it literally means that um, some of God's people will be relatively poor. They won't have a lot of wealth. They won't have a lot of money, but that God will bless them. Uh, he will bless them in a great way uh, in the future. Well, that much is true. Uh, if, if you have relatively little in terms of wealth or finances today, uh, do, do you have a great and valuable blessing to look forward to in the future? Is, is that true? Absolutely true. You may have little in terms of what the world values today, but I understand this morning that uh, as we look ahead to the millennium and all the blessings of the millennium, uh, we have much to look forward to uh, in, in that time. Here's, uh, make a note of this verse, James chapter 2 and verse 5. Uh, here the Bible says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, James writes, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? Uh, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that have loved him. I understand this morning that, that many of us will not have a great deal uh, of wealth this side of heaven, but, but we can possess a rich faith uh, today, uh, and we can know God's blessings for that today, and certainly we look forward to great blessings uh, in eternity. Can you be excited about that today? Is that something that you can be excited about today? Lord, I understand you're, you've not allowed me to have a lot in, in terms of material wealth this side of heaven, but I understand in eternity you're going to bless me greatly uh, with, with things that are just far exceedingly more valuable uh, than anything that you allow me to have materially uh, this side. Of you can be excited about that today. Uh, what about this? Is it, is it the case that uh, when we struggle a little bit financially, uh, does that, can that be spiritually healthy for us, church? When we struggle a little bit um, with the trial, let's say this, a tri financial trials, can they be spiritually good for us? Is that true? Uh, trials, if we respond to them the way God intends, they're spiritually good for us, right? They'll draw us closer to the Lord. If, if, if we'll respond to trials, however they are, uh, as, as God intends, drawing closer to him and uh, seeking God for what is needed and, and asking God for grace and strength to get through the trial and asking him to grow our faith and draw us closer, closer uh, to him, uh, I understand that any kind of trial, including financial trials, the Lord can use them greatly in my life to draw me closer to him uh, and, and to grow, grow my faith in him. Let me ask you this also. Uh, trials, whether they're physical or financial or something else, uh, do they also have the benefit of humbling us, church? Trials humble you. You, you ever been in a place where you were getting a little bit prideful? You were getting a little bit puffed up in, in, in how you were doing and maybe what you had and how you were doing and maybe position or responsibility or, or whatever it was. You were getting just a little bit puffed up and then the Lord allowed some something, like the Lord allowed a wall to be thrown up and you ran into that wall and now there's a trial and, and you were humbled by that. You, you had to kind of step back and uh, recognize, hey, maybe I was getting a little bit uh, ahead of myself. Maybe I was getting a little bit full of myself rather than full of the Lord. And, and, and you, looking back, you can say, Lord, I, I can see that you use that trial uh, to grow me in a general sense, but specifically to humble me. Have you ever been there? God used a trial in your life uh, to humble you. Uh, I dare say that, that we all have been. And I think that when you look at verse 3 and you, you consider this phrase poor in spirit, I think it more likely points to the idea of, of humility uh, in a general sense. Uh, it, it may be the Lord is saying that sometimes being poor materially is a trial that will cause humility. Uh, some have understood it that way. But I think at the end of the day, we probably do best to say Jesus is, is preaching here about uh, a spiritual humility. He, he's saying, listen, uh, if, if, you will, if you will put off pridefulness, uh, if you will put off being filled with yourself, if, if you will put on the recognition that uh, we're really not anything apart from God. Someone say amen. Uh, are we anything apart from the Lord? 
Marilyn, I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't exist apart from him, right? We would not exist uh, apart from God. We would have nothing apart from his provision for us. We'd have no abilities, no talents. Uh, if we have any kind of material wealth, it's because God blessed us with that. I mean, we wouldn't be, uh, and certainly we would not be blessed uh, without the Lord and his blessings. And so certainly we do well this morning to understand that uh, and to humble ourselves, uh, to walk in a great humility that recognizes we are nothing uh, without the Lord. Uh, there is a blessing uh, for saved people uh, who will humble themselves. By the way, I neglected to say this uh, in the introduction, but this, this passage, I believe, is being preached to save people. People, uh, people who are uh, saved people who, who will be in the millennium. This is uh, this part of that constitution for the kingdom of, of the millennium, uh, but it's saved people who will, who will enter into uh, the millennium. And these, so these are principles for saved people to live by. Uh, it's not that, oh, if you'll just humble yourself, you'll be saved. You, I can't be saved, Brother Gary, apart from repentance and faith, right? I don't, I don't get saved. I don't earn a ticket into the millennial kingdom by just humbling myself, just by walking uh, in, in a poor spirit. No, it's not, it's not that at all. These, these are principles for people who have repented and who, are, who will desire to live according to God's will today uh, and uh, in the kingdom. Uh, Romans 12 and verse 3 says this, Paul wrote to the Romans, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt uh, to every man uh, the measure of faith. Are we tempted sometimes to think more highly of ourselves than we should? Church, are we? Even, even after a year filled with all sorts of trials, <laughs> don't, don't let yourself think this. Even, even after a year that kind of beat us down like, like 2020 did, don't let yourself think, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm, so be I'm, I'm, not, I'm no longer susceptible to prideful thinking or, or to pursue things that would uh, bring glory to me. Shine a no, we are. That's, that tendency remains in our sin nature uh, this side of heaven, uh, it's, as long as we are here, this side of heaven, there is that tense, uh, tendency uh, to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We're to call instead to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure uh, of faith. Uh, this kind of humility, of course, recognizes that uh, we are absolutely dependent on Christ for everything. I've said that already this morning. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5 says this, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Do you, do you need anything this morning that you feel like you don't have? Or is there something this morning that you, you just feel like you need God to provide, church? Is there anything on your, do you have a list? Lord, Lord, I need this. God, I, I, I need this. Uh, we're still praying for this man's vision, and God has, has restored it so wonderfully, but you're not fully there yet, right? Uh, I'm concerned that you might start to drive sometime soon. I'm, I'm praying against that. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely kidding. Uh, I understand that you know, you're, you're kind of getting into that range where that might be a possibility not too far down the road. Praise God for that. I know um, I'm praying for Brother Art and for Marilyn for their strength, uh, just, for, just for your strength. I understand that that's a need that, that you guys have now. Praise God that you're here this morning. But uh, I know that uh, as the day gets on, it, it gets a little more challenging, right? And so uh, I'm, pr I'm praying for your strength. I suspect that this trial that you're uh, in right now is, is helping you to stay humble. I suspect that it is. Uh, God, help us to understand this morning that our sufficiency is of you. What we need, Lord, is supplied by you. Um, is the Lord's grace sufficient? Did Christ promise that? Promise that Paul, right? The Lord put that in Scripture for us because it's for us too. Uh, God is a sufficient provider of the things that we need. Uh, uh, humility recognizes that God is the provider of all that we need. We are dependent on our Savior, uh, not ourselves, ultimately. Now, understand the Lord uh, enables us to, uh, to obtain much of what we need, 
through our efforts that he enables. But at the end of the day, it's, it's God providing or enabling us uh, to provide for ourselves. By the way, who is the ultimate perfect example of humbleness? Who is the ultimate perfect example of humility? Who is the ultimate perfect example of someone who might have been tempted to be prideful, but who walked in absolute perfect humility? Who is that, church? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I mean, who is he? He's God the Son. He's God. He's the creator. Uh, he's, he's the Son of God. He's as much God as God the Father, God the Spirit, uh, as we say so often. Would you turn over to Philippians 2, please? I know we've, we've looked at this passage a lot uh, over the years, but turn over to Philippians 2, please. Go, go there real fast. Uh, Philippians 2. Uh, Christ is our ultimate example of the kind of humility that we're called to. And I praise him this morning that he's the ultimate enabler of that humility uh, to which he calls us. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. Are you there? Are you there? Does it say who being in the form of God? Are you there? Who being in the, so speaking of Christ, uh, speaking of Paul's writing, speaking of Christ, he says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why was it not robbery for Christ to think that he's equal to God the Father? Church? It's because he is, right? He's absolutely equal. Did he, did he um, uh, submit himself to the authority of the Father? Yes, he did. But that was a voluntary uh, choice, which in no way compromises his uh, exact, perfect equality with the Father. Uh, Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He came as a babe in a manger. I mean, right from his entrance into this world, right from his incarnation uh, and his birth, it, it, all of that just screams humility. Uh, humble Mary chosen to be his mother who would bring him into the world. That humble place, that, that humble setting, all of that screams uh, the humility of Christ. Uh, Gary, you might have thought that he, he'd be um, brought into the world, born into the world by, by some uh, noble woman, and that she would uh, deliver him into the world in some great palace, in some palatial setting, surrounded by wealth. No, that's not, that's not what the Bible records at all. Christ humbled himself, making himself of no reputation, verse 7, took upon him the form of a what? What does it say? A servant. A servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he what? He humbled himself. Uh, he made himself small. He humbled himself and became obedient. He's God the Son. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How's that for an example of humility? Think about who he is and the choice that he made. Uh, what did he do that for, by the way? Raise your hand if you know. <laughs> Raise your hand if it's you, right? He did it for us, right? Uh, we're not worthy of that. We're the ones who are tempted to be prideful all the time. Christ uh, he probably he was tempted, I'm sure, in his humanity, in his human nature that he took on when he came. I'm sure there was a temptation in his humanity uh, to some pride, but he did not give in to that temptation or the three that we saw uh, Satan tempt him with. He, he came and walked in perfect, uh, total humility. He's our example of humility for sure, but Rich, I thank God this morning, he is also the enabler of my humility. He's my creator. Uh, he's my savior. He's the one that makes it possible uh, for me to walk uh, poor in spirit, humble, humble, recognizing that I'm nothing apart from him. I wouldn't exist apart from him. I would have nothing apart from his perfect provision, his, his blessings. I would be on my way to hell without Christ. I would have none of the blessings of the millennium to look forward to uh, without him. I am nothing without my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? How about you? Are you anything apart from Christ? I'm not. 
Praise God. Uh, praise God. Isn't that a lot different than the message of the world? Uh, what the you know, world teaches, we need, to, we need to be boosting people's self-esteem. We need to give. We need to encourage people to, you know, be prideful and, and, and to have self-esteem. You know, I am not encouraging people to walk around with their head hung heads hung low and uh, or anything like that. To are are you made to feel uh, worthless by the fact that we are nothing apart from Christ? Are you are you made to? Who did he die for? He died for us. Uh, Mike must be we have great value uh, to God. Uh, if the Father sent his, loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for us, must be we have great value in his eyes. No, it's, it's not that this humility to which we're called uh, in any way compromises our value uh, as people. No, we have great value. Uh, it shows us uh, that we have great value to God, but, but that doesn't feed my pride uh, it feeds my dependence on Christ and my, my reliance upon him and my understanding that, uh, yes, I have great value, but still I'm nothing. Uh, I have great value because of him, and I am nothing uh, apart from him. Um, you know, Gary, I, I, maybe I need to put that on the wall or on the ceiling. I see that when I get up in the morning. I am nothing apart from Christ. Uh, I am nothing apart from him. Do I have great value? Yes. Do you, do you have great purpose? Church, do you have great purpose? Do you have great value and great purpose? What's your purpose? Well, we worship the Lord and uh, fellowship with him and fellowship with each other and, and get to share the, uh, the wonderful gospel truth that we've received and uh, share the, the gospel, encourage each other, encourage other people to come. Boy, we, we have the greatest purpose that there is uh, to worship the Lord and, and to fellowship with him and to share him. Uh, and to encourage one another. We have great, great, great purposes. We've been given a great commission. Should I be prideful about that, Rich? I have great value, and I have great purpose. I have great value. I have great purpose. Uh, yet I'm nothing apart from him. He's the one that made me. He's the one that values me. He's the one that gives me great purpose. Be excited about those things. Uh, but Lord, help me not to become prideful about those things. Gary, that just wouldn't make sense, would it? It just would not make sense uh, to become prideful about these things. Look at, look at uh, verse 4, please. Number 2 uh, this morning. You, I, you figured out we'll not get through them all this morning, right? Is that okay? You might have to come back. Is that okay? Okay. Number 2. Uh, Jesus proclaims a blessing for those who mourn, those who mourn. Look at verse 4. He says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be what? Comforted. Praise God that he is a God who comforts and encourages his people. Is that true? Have you known God's comfort and his encouragement when you've needed it, church? Have you known that? Uh, praise God for the comforter, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who regenerated us, who changed us, who gave us a new nature. Uh, praise God for his comfort, uh, for his uh, encouragement. Now listen, this is another verse here which people understand different ways. And uh, it's okay, uh, that's okay, it's okay to wrestle with it. Uh, and to pray and say, Lord, I understand this verse might be understood by different people different ways, but help, help me to understand it the way you intend, the way uh, you desire. Uh, I understand this morning that, that people uh, mourn uh, the loss of loved ones and, and need, God's, need God's comfort. Uh, I understand that. Uh, we've all been there. Uh, I understand that we suffer all sorts of losses uh, this side of heaven, uh, you lose a loved one, well, that's a reminder that there is a curse upon creation, and um, that, that is the expectation of all of us unless we experience the rapture personally. I'm thankful that God's comfort is there when we've experienced a loss and, and when we mourn. That said, I, I don't think that's the primary way that the Lord intends us uh, to understand this verse. Uh, I understand that um, 
God probably understand, uh, has a different intention. I'll, I'll get it out here. Pray for me. Uh, listen to James 4 and verse 9, please. James 4 and verse 9 says this. Uh, here there's a command from God that says this. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. There is a command of God to be afflicted and to mourn and to weep. Well, how? About what? What, is, what, what? what would God command us to mourn and weep at? Stop and think about that for a minute. Uh, I understand I mourn when I experience loss. That's true. But there seems to be another sense in which the Lord commands us uh, to mourn and weep about something. Uh, would you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7? I have you moving around a little bit this morning, sorry, but uh, it's worth it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, go there please, if you would. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, there is here um, a truth about godly sorrow in uh, mourning, and I think, uh, again, we're, we're just comparing Scripture with Scripture and allowing the Lord to inform our interpretation of this beatitude by looking at some other passages that uh, can shed some light and, and inform our understanding. Second Corinthians 7, are you there? Are you there? You're working on it at least, right? Uh, so this is Paul's second inspired letter to the church at Corinth, uh, and, and they had some problems there, right? I understand all churches do. Uh, they had some problems there. And Paul's dealing, dealt with problems in the first letter and some in the second letter. Um, and there were some things to be repented of in that church. And uh, 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, he says this. The Lord says this through Paul to that church. He says, for godly what? Sorrow worketh what? Repentance is repent. You repent of what? What do you repent of? What's the general three-letter three S word, sin, right? That's what you repent of, right? You, you repent, you turn from sin. You, you repented of sin when you came to Christ for salvation, and we continue to sin. We're called to repent of sin again. Uh, Paul told the church at Corinth, he says this, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sore, what carefulness is wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, what revenge, and all things ye have approved yourselves of to be clear in this matter. So th there's a lot there. I understand this morning that um, I, I repented of sin for salvation, but I'm called to uh, continue to repent of sin as the Holy Spirit deals with me and convicts me of sin, uh, that sanct not salvation process, that happens in a moment, but the sanctifying uh, 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 power of the Spirit of God in my life, that's a process. For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. Yes, when, when you're convicted of sin, when you sorrow at sin, uh, that, that, that has a power in our lives. When, when you heard the gospel and you were convicted, so, by the way, whose sin put Christ on the cross? Whose sin put him there? Whose sin necessitated that? <laughs> Someone's pointing at themselves. Yeah, I'll do that too. My sin necessitated that God the Father sent his only begotten son uh, to come humbly as he did, to humble himself to the plan of the Father uh, and to go humbly to the cross uh, my sins were nailed up there with him. Uh, he, he shed his blood to cover my sins. Uh, he died as a result of my sin. Thankfully, he was buried and rose again uh, on the third day as he, as he uh, promised. He ascended to heaven. Maryland, he's still interceding there at the right hand of the Father for me today, uh, which, by the way, is a great reason to believe that uh, you can be sure of your salvation all the way home. Where is Christ today? He's at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing there today? He's interceding with the Father for who? Us. The us. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. That's a, that's a really good reason to believe that uh, we can be assured of our salvation all the way home, that we, we can't lose it. Um, godly sorrow worketh repentance. Repentance is of sin. Come back to, uh, come back to verse 4 in our passage this morning. Blessed are they that mourn, 
uh, for they shall be comforted. I understand that when I experience a loss and I mourn, God comforts me. I understand that's a truth, but I don't think it's what the Lord's saying here. I think he's saying this morning something more like, listen, um, th there ought to be a godly sorrow about sin in our lives. Uh, when, when, when there's sin in our lives as saved people, uh, there ought to be a sorrow at that sin. Uh, there ought, when, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, and you, you, you remember back who Christ is and what he did for you, and he had to go to the cross for my sin, uh, and, and I've been saved, but there's still sin in my life. That's not something to celebrate. Uh, that's something to repent of, and a godly sorrow at that sin uh, is a very powerful thing. By the way, that's very different than the world's response to sin. You look out in the world today and all the sin uh, happening out, and the world, what's the world's response to sin? What is it? They celebrate it, right? It's to be celebrated. It's to be taught. Uh, we, we teach young people in public schools now that all kinds of sin is okay, and it's to be celebrated. And those, those that will take up a sinful lifestyle, they're, they're to be lauded and celebrated and, uh, and held up as an example of boldness. And uh, that's, that's wickedness. Uh, the world is, is very much in the business uh, of celebrating and encouraging sin. And uh, that's not going to change until the Lord comes back, of course. It's, it's going to continue to be the case. The world is going to continue to celebrate sin. And as they move further and further down that road, they'll, they'll undoubtedly be growing persecution of those who refuse to do that, those that, that hold to the word of God and have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's uh, one of the Beatitudes, also a promise to those people. Uh, that's just the reality. And yet, if you look at the second part of verse 4, what does it say? What does it say? Blessed are they that mourn for what? They shall be what? Comforted. By whom? By the Lord. That's the promise. That's the promise. Listen, you... <laughs> Anybody got any sin in their life? <laughs> Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. Is there some sin? I mean, have we been perfected yet? Uh, in God's eyes, we have been. But what's the, what's the reality? What's the, what's the practicality? There's, there's still some junk, right? Is God still working on you? He's still working on me. Amen? Somebody say, amen, pastor. You need God to work on you. I'll say, you're right. You're right. Uh, amen. When, um, when you're reading your Bible or you hear a message uh, and the Holy Spirit says, hmm, that's you. <laughs> he convicts you. Uh, he convicts you. What's your response? What's your response? Is there a sorrow? Oh, man. Sure enough. Is there a sorrow? Um, do we mourn and weep and let our laughter be turned to mourning and our joy to heaviness? when there's sin and the Holy Spirit is dealing with us. You could say, I praise God that the Holy Spirit does deal with me, and I, I rejoice at that. And in a sense, that, that's a good thing. That's a, that's right attitude about the Holy Spirit dealing with us and convicting us of sin. But it's also right. It's biblical. In fact, we are called to mourn the sin in our lives. Um, if, if you develop that kind of attitude towards it, by the way, we, we'll call it the hate sin, right? Amen? Is that biblical, church? It's not, it's not biblical to hate, pastor. Yes, it is biblical to hate sin. Don't hate people, certainly, uh, but it's absolutely biblical to hate sin. Lord, help me to hate the sin in my life. Uh, if you hate sin in your life, will you be more inclined to mourn the sin in your life when it's there, when the Spirit convicts you uh, of that sin. If, if you develop a real biblical hatred of sin, not sinners, but sin, uh, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict you about sin at some point, you'll mourn that. God, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. You say that? God, I'm sorry for that ick in my life. I'm sorry, that's, I'm sorry for that thought. I'm sorry for, uh, you know, thoughts come, right? Church, you know what I'm talking about? Sinful thoughts come in sometimes. 
Am I the only one? I'm the only one. <laughs> no. No, Marilyn's going, no. I'm not the only one. You may not be able to help that, but you can help what you do when it comes, right? Do you dwell on it? Maybe it's some angry thought. You know, it doesn't have to be a sexual thing. Maybe it's some angry thought. Oh, I'm angry. You, you, can, you can hold on to that and just, you know, steep yourself in that angry thought and get angry and angry and mad and angry. Uh, and, and I don't mean a righteous indignation. I just mean a, a prideful anger. Is there a difference? Is there a difference between righteous indignation and prideful anger? There's a big difference, right? Uh, righteous indignation, you're, you're upset because sin upsets God, right? Righteous indignation is, is that. Prideful anger, somebody did something to me and I'm mad and I'm not letting it go no matter what. Been there? You ever been there? I'm mad. Anybody here really good at getting mad? <laughs> Those are, Pastor, I've experienced your wrath. You're real good at that. God's still working on me, amen. <laughs> He's still working on me. Uh, praise God. Lord, help us to hate sin and help us to sorrow at it when you convict us of it. Help us to hate it and, and that there be a real, genuine sorrow at sin in our lives. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. <laughs> Lord, thank you for the conviction. Help me to respond to it with sorrow at my sin. I'm sorry, God. What does it mean to say you're sorry? <laughs> There's a sorrow at your sin and you're apologizing for it. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be what? That sorrow at sin is a temporary thing, you know. Um, yes, it should be there, and you should ask God to help it be there because that will help you, that will encourage us. It will be a godly aid to repentance, uh, which was part of our growth. But the Lord comes in and he comforts. He comforts you. Deal with conviction. By the way, when you refuse to deal with the Spirit's conviction, is there much comfort is it, do you feel comforted or discomforted? God's convicting you, he's convicting you, he's convicting you. You say, nah, God, I don't want to deal with this. I, I like this sin. I don't know we don't say it like that, but when we refuse to deal with the conviction by sorrowing at the sin and, and confessing it and forsaking it, turning away, repenting and forsaking it, leaving it behind, we're, we're effectively saying to God, nah, God, I like this sin. I'm going to keep at it. That's pride. That's pride. That's not walking uh, with a poor spirit. That's pride. Uh, and that pride leads us to not mourn at our sin. These two Beatitudes are back to back for a reason. They're all connected, you understand. <laughs> They're all, Lord, help me to walk poor in spirit with the humility before you. And, and, and help me to refuse to pridefully continue in sin when you convict me. Help me to humbly mourn the sin. Uh, and, and, and forsake it, leave it behind. And Lord, help me to uh, rejoice at the comfort that you bless us with when we do just that. Uh, in the millennium, our present sorrow at sin will be exchanged for joy at salvation. Uh, will, it, will, we, will we have any reason in the millennium to sorrow at our sin, do you think? Are you going to sin in the millennium? I don't think so. I think your sin nature is going to be gone at that point. Can you be excited about that? <laughs> I could be excited about that. We have a, an eternity to look ahead to where the sin nature is gone. Uh, no more wrestling. No, no more Gary deciding which of the two dogs you're going to feed, right? The sin, the sin nature will be gone, uh, and the, 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 the Christ-like godly nature will be our only nature, and, and we're not going to be sinning. Uh, in the millennium. That's, that's a big part of our hope and joy uh, also. Um, this exchanging of sorrow at sin for a perfect ongoing rejoicing and joy uh, at our salvation is, is part of God's promise to us as people. He first made that promise to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Let me read a little bit of that. If you want, you can turn back to Isaiah 61. If you go there fast, uh, Isaiah 61, 
is a prophecy of Christ and uh, his coming and uh, his, his work so that ultimately uh, this uh, rejoicing, uh, this uh, exchanging of sorrow at sin for rejoicing at salvation, it's very much uh, an allusion to a prophecy of Christ coming and then ultimately this truth being fully realized in the millennium. See this here, Isaiah 61 uh, and verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, uh, Isaiah says, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Uh, he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He's, he's uh, speaking of Christ, no doubt, to proclaim liberty to the captives uh, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I believe that's likely a reference to Christ ascending um, uh, after, well, while his body was in the tomb, uh, not to go to hell to be punished, but to release the Old Testament believers. Uh, verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Uh, not a lot of time here to go into this, but that, that phrase pretty clearly alludes to the tribulation, the day of vengeance of our God, uh, to, to comfort all that mourn. Uh, to comfort all that mourn. I'm going to say it again. To comfort all that mourn is possible because of Christ. Uh, it's, we, we know his comfort today. Jews in the tribulation who are saved are going to be, there's going to be a lot of mourning, uh, no doubts, and the Lord will comfort them uh, at that time, first in the tribulation, and then they will know a perfect comfort in the millennium. Uh, verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them. Here's this phrase that we know, beauty for ashes, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the oil of joy in place of mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. We'll exchange a spirit of heaviness uh, for a garment of praise uh, in the millennium, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. This is all for God's glory. All of this is for God's glory. Obviously, we uh, are thankful for the comfort that we know today. Uh, and the Jews in the tribulation will be thankful for the comfort they receive when they get saved but suffer great persecution. Uh, all of us together uh, will, will <laughs> be very thankful for the perfect comfort that we will enjoy in the millennium. But ultimately, it's for God's glory. <laughs> that comfort, uh, end, end of verse 3 there, uh, that he might be glorified. This is ultimately for God's glory. He'll be glorified uh, by this. Isaiah 25 and verse 8 says this, he will swallow up death and victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth for the Lord hath spoken it. Praise God. Uh, praise God. Turn back to Revelation 21. Go there real fast. It's easy to find, as you know, because it's the last book of the Bible and it's near the last page of the Bible. Revelation 21, please. Uh, here's uh, the great promise to all believers, Jews and Gentiles alike. We have this uh, to look forward to. Revelation 21 uh, and verse 4 says this. God shall wipe away what? All tears uh, from their eyes. There shall be no more death, praise God, neither sorrow, neither sorrow. Blessed are they that mourn, but the future that we have to look forward to is one, there will be no more occasion for that. Uh, blessed, uh, neither sorrow nor crying, no more occasion for that. Neither shall there be any more pain, praise God. Praise God, for the former things are what? Passed away. <laughs> All things become new. Praise God. Praise God. That's the future that we have to look forward to. Um, should you mourn sin today, this side of heaven? Absolutely, you should. Hate it. Uh, Pastor, I don't want to hate anything. Don't hate people, please. Don't hate sinners, but hate sin. Hate it in your own life and mourn it. That'll be a great aid to our repentance. You will know the Lord's comfort in that. Uh, that is a, uh, a wonderful, what we experience today in that equation is a wonderful foreshadowing of what we will know in the millennium and beyond. There'll be no more sin. There'll just be 
joy. There'll be no more sorrow, no more tears. Lord, what? There'll be no more occasion for that. Uh, we'll exchange beauty for ashes, joy for sorrow and mourning. Wow. Gary, that's made possible because of Christ, my Savior. Meanwhile, I'm going to be in the business of hating my sin and mourning it and sorrowing at it uh, when the Spirit convicts me of it. And, and with God's help, I'm going to repent of it for his honor and his glory. And I'm going to thank him for the comfort that comes as I do just that. Sound good? Amen. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. Lord, thank you this morning for your words. I am so very grateful for this passage. Lord, as you know, we take care to understand it in a literally correct way and to place it um, in your plan as we understand it literally. But, Father, I thank you this morning that... Um, we can rejoice at what we have to look forward to. And Lord, we can take up these principles now in preparation for the kingdom. Uh, Father, I thank you so much that we can because of Christ. Lord, I thank you this morning for the hope, all of the hope we have because of Christ our Savior. Lord, as I look around the world today, I, I am compelled to pray. And, and I, I do pray this morning for our nation, I pray for the world. I pray for our leaders. I pray for peace in our country. I pray for protection from affliction. Uh, I pray, Lord, that, that you will work in this world and use all the trials, the myriad temptations and trials that we see in the world today, Lord, to uh, give us an open door to share the gospel. God, I can see that you're doing your part. I pray that you'll help us to do our part, to take full advantage of the trials and tribulations that, we, that you are using uh, to get people's attention. Lord, help us to be able and willing and ready and prepared uh, to take the gospel to those doors, through those doors that you are opening. Lord, I pray this morning and thank you and thank you that this world ultimately is not our home. We're just passing through. We have a heavenly home. We have a wonderful thousand-year millennium ruling and reigning with Christ to look forward to. Lord, I pray this morning that that hope, that certain hope, would be a source of great joy for us. And Lord, as we study through these Beatitudes, I pray it would be a constant reminder of where we are headed, just passing through this world uh, to a kingdom that is not, not what we know today. Lord, I pray this morning that as we study these things, that our hope and our joy at that hope would be encouraged greatly. And Father, again, that we would be encouraged greatly to take up these things today uh, in preparation for that kingdom, but also for your honor and your glory in this day, this side of that. Father, I pray this morning if there's sin in our hearts, our lives, uh, Lord, certainly there is. We take a moment, ask you to search our hearts, to convict us. Lord, help us to hate that sin and to mourn it, to sorrow at it, knowing that a day is coming when there'll be no need for that. There'll be only joy. But Lord, today I pray you'd help us to, to mourn at it, to sorrow at it, to repent, to forsake in your strength, and that we'd know your comfort, your joy, at that. Lord, work in our hearts now. Give you a moment to pray and then we'll close. Help us to keep short accounts with you. When there's conviction, give us hearts to be quick, to agree. Help us to mourn our sin, to turn from it for your honor and your glory, trusting you for comfort to replace the sorrow and discomfort. Lord, help us never forget the day is coming when there'll be nothing but that comfort. 
Father, I love you this morning. I thank you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. I thank you for those who are watching online. Help us not forget them for a moment, but to pray for a time when we can all be safely together. And Lord, pray that you'll give each one peace when the time is right for them. Lord, help us never forget the importance of assembling together as your church here. Father, I thank you this morning for this church, for each member. I pray you bless them, Lord, for their obedience to you. Lord, I love you. I thank you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name.